I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm uh, thrilled to be worshiping with you. We are going to uh, be in Mark chapter 5 this morning, just continuing our series on Mark. So if you have your Bible, uh, open it there. If not, I will put it on the screen for you. You guys get to uh, choose your own adventure to get this going here. So do you, would you guys prefer uh, that I just kind of ease on into the passage, or should we do the edgier intro to this? Let's go edgy. Okay, Deb wants it, so I'm going to give it to her. So uh, Bethel Church is a church up in Reading, and they, uh, they are controversial to say the least. I think they, they find a way to do things in the most controversial way possible. One of the things that they did recently within the last couple of years is one of, the, um, one, of the past, one of the pastor's kids, like a little girl, um, died. So super tragic. But they did this whole big thing where they were praying and enlisting thousands of people, tens of thousands of people to um, pray that she would be resurrected. And they were, it was like a whole big thing. And so all of my like headlines and everything was like um, about like the theology of like, should you be praying that a person be raised from the dead? It raises a lot of like big questions. And there's a cynical side to me that's like, come on guys, like what's going on here? There's another side of me that reads a passage like the one that we're going to go through today and sees that that's exactly literally what Jesus does in this passage. And so I have this internal tension of like, should we do this? Should we not? And, and if, even if you want to step back from that big of a thing and step into things like many people in this room have cancer right now, or you've lost somebody uh, through cancer or something, what, what does it look like when we pray for that person, pray in faith? Does, does the faith that we have actually... Um, Boy, does it, does it entitle us to healing? Does it, does it work healing? Does it bring it about? Like, how do those things all play together? Uh, this passage, we see Jesus doing, as he's been doing, some pretty remarkable things, some pretty impossible things. Um, and it raises all these questions for me. So we're going to dive into the passage. And uh, with that sort of um, uh, big picture framing of it, I just want to let you know I'm going to... Um, untangle all of that for you. So theologically, we're going to be just clear on exactly how all of it works, okay? So just buckle your seatbelt. I'm going to do a fantastic job of making it all make sense, and you'll know exactly what to do when you see this uh, in the future. Obviously, sarcasm. But um, one foundational truth that I want us to see before we even, like, look at the passage is this. Um, we see faith as a what thing, okay? We think of, like, faith in doctrines. Like I, I, my faith is, my statement of faith is these doctrines. Or we think of faith as like faith that God will do this or that action. But I want us to reframe it. I think Jesus in this passage will reframe it for us so that it's less of faith in a what and it's more of a faith in a who. Faith in Jesus as a person. Faith in the one that can heal. The faith in the one that has a bigger plan than we have. And so let's frame it not as a um, what word, but as a who word. It's not about uh, perfect belief. It's not about certainty on our part, I don't think. Uh, it's not about a specific outcome, but it's about a person that we are connecting to that we're uh, believing in. So th this, this passage, this section, um, we see faith work out in the lives of two different women. It's a really uh, beautiful passage. And uh, so let's just dive in, shall we? Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. So it says, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat, to the other side, and let me just actually pause there. In last week's passage, we saw uh, Jesus had crossed the Sea of Galilee, and as he went, he went from the Gentile side, or the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee, um, over to the Gentile side. And on the way there, there was a big storm, and the disciples were terrified. Jesus, um, they wake up Jesus, because they're scared, he calms the storm, but he's also like, guys, like, what are you, a storm is freaking you out? Come on, guys, like, I'm here with you, this is going to be fine. So he calms the storm, miraculously, 
They get to their side, and when they're on the other side in this Gentile territory, there's a demon-possessed man that comes up, and, um, and Jesus casts uh, like maybe 2,000 demons out of this guy. Really remarkable thing. And then Jesus travels back. So now they're coming back from the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee to the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. So here we go. Uh, verse 21, he had crossed again in the boat to the other side, and a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Okay, so Jesus uh, gets out of the boat uh, onto the Jew Jewish side, and there's just the crowds. It's like they're waiting for him. As soon as there's word that Jesus is there, they're just like crowds everywhere. So, so this um, pressing in, this big deal thing of like, okay, here's Jesus. And I, I like the, to just picture the scene. What would it have been like to see Jesus the celebrity, you know, like walking around and trying to get anything done, and everyone's just around him? When my family and I, we lived in L.A. for a while— and we were part of a church that had like a celebrity pastor. And so it's just like, um, it's just, you can imagine just people like talking, like waiting in line, just going, well, you guys know how it is having me as a pastor. Just, you know, it's like signing autographs all the time. It's crazy. Um, but I, I, had, I had one Sunday um, when I was there, I was a worship leader at the time. And um, I was leading worship. And, and my friend, right before we came out to, to kind of start uh, the music, friend's like, dude, Pamela Anderson is sitting in the front row. And... I'm like, I'm sure that Pamela Anderson is sitting in the front row. But I go out, and sure enough, she was. Like, she was, like, like right here where Pat is sitting. And it was uh, obviously a better Sunday then than it is now uh, with that. But she was there. so then, then as soon as the service is over, um, she, she gets up and just kind of quietly goes out the side door. And I, I'm, I'm not even kidding. Like, some of the, my pastor, fellow pastors were, like, just got up and just sprinted out the side door to, like, catch her at the end, you know, whatever. And I'm like, come on, man. Play it, play it aloof. Play it cool. Like, just be chill about this. I just picture, like, the crowding around Jesus. I think, like, church must be hard for celebrities. You know, you want to be part of a family, but everyone's just kind of treating you like something really special. And here's Jesus, and he comes on the shore. He can't even, like, go home to his house without everyone just crowding around. I'm picturing myself just observing all these people, and they're, like, they're interested in what Jesus is doing. They've heard stories, and, and they want to just see what's going on with him. But in the crowd, there's this one guy, Jairus, and Jairus is there, and he's like, he's like, um, he is desperate. He has a need. He came because he wants not just to see what's going on with Jesus, but he needs actually something from Jesus in a desperate way. This man has just found out that his daughter is actually dying, and so he, she's at the like point of death, and he's coming, and he's, he is just begging Jesus earnestly, saying, my little daughter, She's going to die. Come and um, make her well, like make her live. So he's just begging, needing something from Jesus. And so he comes and he finds himself on his knees in front of Jesus, just begging him. Now, this is the second time in, the cha in Mark chapter 5 where we see someone on their knees in front of Jesus. The first time, it was, it was the, the contrast with this guy that was demonized, okay? So over here on the Gentile side, this guy that had all these demons falls at the feet of Jesus. Here we have this um, leader of the synagogue, this religious leader, Jewish religious leaders down at their knees in front of Jesus. The one man is an unclean Gentile. This other man is a Jewish person that leads the synagogue. One has been disowned by everyone that he loves, and this one has a family that he loves. He's surrounded by. One is demonized. The other one is leading religious services. So there's this massive difference between these two people, and yet both of them see Jesus, and they're like, this is exactly where I need to be, at the feet of Jesus. This is the place. 
And so like wherever we are, like maybe if that's a spectrum between like demonized outsider, uh, completely all alone, or, uh, you know, local pastor doing great, or anywhere in between there, there's room for us all to just say, okay, what do I need? I need to come and sit at the feet of Jesus. Like I need to just see him as the one that can do something here. So this man's daughter um, is, uh, he's comes, she's at the point of death. It's a dire situation. We, we find out later in the story, she's 12 years old and that becomes um, significant. And he knows, like, we don't know all of what Jarius knows, but he comes and he knows that like this man, Jesus, his faith is such that he's saying, this man can actually do something um, about what I need done here. And so Jesus says, yes, I'll go with you. They go. The crowd is continuing to press in on him, and we're going to go find out what is Jesus going to do with this man's daughter? Can he actually heal her? Is this man's faith going to be rewarded in going and seeking Jesus out? We get to find all that out. But Mark is a, a good storyteller, and Mark puts a story inside of a story. So it takes a turn, and then we'll get back to Jairus and this girl later. So here now is uh, verse 25. Here's, here's how the story unfolds. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and who had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Okay, so here is the crowd of people pressing around, and Jairus is like, man, I, I'd like all these people watching, I need to go and, and follow Jesus' feet and just beg him to do something. Here's someone else that's in the crowd. And this woman has had, um, probably it's menstrual bleeding, and she's had this for, for 12 years, if you, you can even imagine it. So the, 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 um, the confusion, the fear of like this bleeding will not stop, like this keeps happening, it's this big deal, it's like scary to have something that goes on for so long like that. And in this, in this society, um, bleeding like this would make you unclean. So she is constantly unclean in this society that is all about staying ritually pure, religiously um, clean in that sense, which would have meant she would have been isolated. It seems like she doesn't have anybody that's around her. And so she, here she comes and she's watching and she sees Jesus and she's had this long-term thing. It says even that she's spent all the money that she had on doctors to fix this problem. It's a big enough thing that she keeps going again and again, another doctor, another specialist, another person, um, and she loses like all of her money and nothing has actually made her better. Matter of fact, Mark seems to be throwing a little bit of shade at doctors here by like, she'd suffered much under many physicians. Like they're just making the whole thing worse. Um, and man, I, I it just, you know, the, the last chapter we saw this guy that had the demon and he's going through, and it's like everybody also is trying to, like, bind him, like, like constrain him, uh, contain him. And this man is just breaking off all his bonds. Everything that people are doing is only making it worse. Well, it's the same thing for this woman. Any, anyone that's ever tried to help or that she's asked for help, every human person has only made the suffering worse. Do doctors at that time, like, um, I would not want a doctor at that time. Like, what they knew and what they did was not great. But especially for a woman, um, Hippocrates, you know, the, the Hippocratic oath that doctors take. Hippocrates, this ancient doctoral figure, said that at that time, women suffered a lot more than men did because basically men would be uh, the doctors and they'd be trying to treat women uh, in the same way that they would treat men. And as we know, there's some differences between these two things. And so um, this poor woman just suffering so much, and I, what I see as super significant here is suffering for so long. 
12 years, this woman has been suffering with this thing, right? So the, the number 12, like, here's this, um, this little girl that's 12 years old, and Jairus is like, my 12-year-old daughter, like, she's going to die too early. Like, help, this is, this is dire. This is a, a point of intense need. And on the other hand, here's this woman that for the entire length of time that this 12-year-old girl has been alive, this woman has been suffering in isolation at the end of everything that she has. And so here is Jesus now coming to a woman that has been suffering for way too long. I'm sure she's asked God to, like, help her and heal her over the course of those 12 years. It just year after year after year, nothing changes, nothing happens. Now, I say that, I read that, and I think, as I read about this woman who's waited so long, I think of many of you in our church family that I know that are suffering with chronic illness. And there's this, this issue that you've got, um, uh, whether it's diagnosed. Some of you, it's diagnosed, but it's like, why won't this go away? You try more treatments, more doctors, and it just lingers. For, for some of you, the other side of it is it's undiagnosed. And you're like, I know that there's something wrong with my body, but like doctor after doctor, nobody can explain what's really happening with me. And in any case, the, the chronic illness, the longer it goes on, you just, you get discouraged and it beats you down and you get numb and you lose hope and you pray about it and you want God to heal and you, you, you work up, conjure up the faith to ask God to heal. But year after year after year, things keep going and um, here she comes, finally this act of des- desperation 12 years later to the feet of Jesus, just falling down and just, she's like, she's like um, in this sense where she's going to do the sneak attack on Jesus. She wants to come up behind him. See, for her, she was ritually unclean, right, because of her bleeding. So um, if she's going to touch Jesus, it's going to make him unclean. You're not supposed to do it, especially for like a rabbi like this. Like you wouldn't do this. So there's this taboo around it. She has this sense that Jesus can do something, but she doesn't dare to ask him. Her whole plan is I'm going to sneak up behind him in the crowd. Everybody's touching him, so maybe I can get away. But I know if I can just touch the, the, the edge of this man's clothes, then like maybe I can find some relief from everything I've been feeling. She's going to do it subtly, quietly, and she's just going to walk away and hope that it all worked out. That's like the little bit of faith this woman could conjure after 12 years. Here's how it it unfolds from here. Uh, Verse 30 says that Jesus, uh, so she touches him. Oh, and she, she touches him and she is healed. It's amazing, right? So Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This, this woman had like a really like narrow, small focus faith, I think. You know, she, she had the, this faith that was like, if I can just sneak up and touch Jesus, then I'll be healed. Like that's, that's faith with a really small focus. But what's beautiful about it is that it worked, right? Like I, I love that Jesus didn't turn around and say, oh, sweetie, you totally misunderstood how faith works. Like here's the framework in which you might be actually healed from this, not the like sneak attack, just touch me on the thing. No, it actually worked. Jesus healed her um, regardless of the fact that like her, her whole thing seemed a little mechanistic, right? It seemed a little out of place. It didn't seem relationally um, uh, grounded in this whole thing. So she comes up and touches him, and Jesus is like not giving her a doctrine test. He's not walking her through a procedure of how to do this the right way. He sees this little bit of faith, and he's like, yeah, okay, I've got you, right? I'll meet you where you're at with this little bit of faith. I think it's really beautiful. 
I think for, for like many of us here, right, maybe, maybe you haven't studied theology. That's okay, right? If there's this sense of like who Jesus is, he's compelling, he's powerful, and I, he is the one that I need in order to um, be where I need to be. Like that is, I think, a beautiful starting place. And Jesus just meets him there. If you can just reach out and touch Jesus, like that is, I think that's the whole invitation of the gospel of Mark and the big picture of it. Mark is just trying to get us to like, hey, reach out and, and grab hold of Jesus. That is what you need um, in this whole thing. That, that's, that's enough faith. That's enough to make it start. But even with that, even with her like small focused faith and, and, and Jesus heals her in that. Jesus, I love, he, he does heal her, but he takes it from being this mechanical thing of like, okay, just a touch and then you're healed automatically. He takes it from that and he begins to frame it relationally. So Jesus acknowledges the what, like, okay, power has gone out for me, which I, I like, I don't understand that dynamic, but Jesus is like, I just expended some power here. You know, he knows how it happened. So he acknowledges the what, that I had just healed somebody. Um, but then he reframes it, immediately focuses on the who in the midst of it, okay? So they're, they're looking around. Jesus' uh, disciples, they're like, okay, they're, they're getting a little, um, a little sassy with Jesus here. Like, okay, you're surrounded by the crowds. Everybody's touching you when you're asking who's touching you, Jesus, you know? Jesus doesn't worry about their sass, you know? He just kind of goes about his thing, and he's looking for this woman in the midst of it. It's, it's, it's like you picture a, um, a running back, like doing a dive down the middle. So you go later and watch the 49ers and Christian McCaffrey does a dive down the middle and everyone's trying to tackle him and finally comes down and just picture him standing up and being like, who touched me? Somebody touched me back there, you know? Um, I think that's what it's like. Jesus is in the crowd. But yeah, people were touching him. People were crowding around him. He was surrounded. But what is different here, right, is that somebody, one of those people that touched him, did so in faith, right, with a certain kind of belief that Jesus would do a certain kind of a thing and Jesus responded to that and healed her. So Jesus made sure that when she experienced this healing, that she wouldn't experience it, experience it just mechanically, that she would experience it relationally. So he finds her. He, he looks around. He's, he's saying he's looking for this woman, and she comes forward, fear and trembling, and she's terrified. And she just says, like, um, she says in verse... Um, Oh, no, she fell down and she told him the whole truth. That's all it says. And Jesus, being who he is, comes to her and says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. He makes a personal connection with her. And I think that is so, so beautiful. Times that we're, we're praying for God to heal, right? We have these big pains that we feel. We have these massive things. We have these ongoing um, issues where our suffering has just gone on too long. It just has, just way too long times that we engage with the Lord and we pray and we wrestle, that relational context is so beautiful. When we come to the Lord, uh, faith, not just that he will heal us, but faith in who he is as a person, that prayer and that wrestling with the Lord, even when we're telling him, God, you're taking way too long with this. God, this is not how I want this to be going. God, I'm still suffering. We come again and again and again. It creates a relational uh, framework in which if we do receive the healing of God, it's a beautiful thing because he knows our heart. We've laid it out before and we've spoken to him and he sees, um, like we see the relational connection there. And so when we receive that healing, it's a beautiful thing in that relational context. On the flip side, many times we come to the Lord and we ask again and again and again for months, weeks, like years, decades. We come to him, we're asking him to work. And when he doesn't, it's one thing when we expected it to be a, a mechanical thing. It's another thing when we've been wrestling with God in prayer and we've been laying out our heart to him and our desires and our fears and our doubts and all of it when we're laying it before him, even when we don't get what we were asking for initially. 
um, there still is a relational context there that I think um, it deepens the whole thing, right? And we begin to maybe trust less in our need for the specific thing that we've been asking for, and we begin to trust, okay, Lord, even when you don't give me what I specifically think that I want, um, there's a relational side that says, okay, this is, this is okay. I'm, I'm learning to trust the Lord, not an outcome, but a person, right? Faith, again, is a who word, not just a what word. And so rather than just, I believe that God will do this thing that I'm, I'm almost demanding that he do, you know, when I come to him and I tell him, Lord, I need this, I need this, I need this, when we come to him, we, our faith becomes to grow in him as a person, in him as the person who can not just, is not just powerful enough to do it, but also is loving enough to help us see a bigger picture than we usually see. And so here comes this woman. She comes to Jesus. He makes it relational. He takes this woman who has certainly been ostracized, this person who's been doubting and hurting for years and years and years, for 12 years. And Jesus comes to her. And I just love how tender he is with her. He says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. She, she has got nobody left, right? She's isolated. She's cut off. She's unclean. And Jesus calls her his daughter. She finds in Jesus a family. She finds um, this place where she can belong. It's a beautiful way in which Jesus is tender. So here's a story with a beautiful ending, right? But if we had caught this woman on any of the prior 11 years, right, it would not have been a story with a happy ending. It would be the story that many of us are living in right now of, I have been asking God for years to do something about this, and he hasn't done it. Well, same with this woman. For years, nothing happened to this until it did, finally, right? So there's a lesson for us in the faith that comes when we're suffering for too long. Faith still holds out, and there still is something that Jesus might do. We don't really know. But here, Mark, in putting these two stories next to each other, shows us a turn um, in going from a desperate situation and in a too long situation to a too late kind of a situation. So verse 35. So while he was still speaking with this woman, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. So here we come back. Mark brings us back, okay, from the woman who has the bleeding for 12 years. Now we're back to the 12-year-old little girl, okay? And Jairus had come, and he was urgent because my daughter is on the verge of death. Lord Jesus, please come. His faith is incredible to believe that if Jesus could just be there with her, he could save this girl's life and keep her from dying. That's incredible, right? But Jesus is going, and I can just picture the dad's like, like antsiness and fear and frustration when Jesus takes the time to like, oh, I just healed somebody. Let me like, hang on a second. Let me find out who this is. Let me chat with her a little bit, you know, about it. Like I picture Jerry's just being like, come on, come on, come on, Mike. She's dying. What are you doing? And here is this father's uh, faith unrewarded, right? This father's like plea, like he believed that Jesus could save him. And yet here it is. Okay, I guess that was all for nothing because he gets this news. Your daughter is dead. Why are you troubling him anymore? There, here's a dad that is facing I have a 12-year-old daughter. You know what I'm saying? Like, I picture this. Some of you have, in this room have literally gotten this news. Your daughter is dead. Like, this is unimaginable for this dad to have to face this. And here is Jesus, because he was being this relational guy and chatting. Like, this is how every, um, like, just why couldn't you have just gotten here sooner? Why couldn't you have just done what I said? And here's this man just having to um, 
in this, live in this surreal moment of like, oh my gosh, I just lost my daughter. Jesus uh, is sitting here, and he's, he's, I think, intentionally put this man in a position where it goes from being super urgent, um, and he talks to this woman for whom it's been too long, but he gives her what she needs, and here he is now, and it's, it's too late, right? She is dead. It is too late. There's nothing to be done now, and I think many of us know what that's like, to be in a spot where you're praying, Lord, please, 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 and we're praying for a long time, and it's taking too long, and eventually it becomes too late because we're praying, and we're praying for healing for somebody, but then that person dies, right? We've, many of us have been in that position where we pray for that, and it doesn't turn out the way we want, and it's now too late. We pray for provision, like, God, please, like, um, uh, provide work for me. Like, let me, let me keep the house and everything else, but we, we still lose the job, or we still lose the house, or whatever it is. The provision doesn't come, and it's too late. Or the need is not met. Many of us in this room have prayed for relationships. Um, Lord, please heal this relationship, but it still ends in divorce, or it still ends in estrangement, and um, we have to deal with all the consequences of that. Many times we've prayed for protection for somebody, and then that prayer doesn't come true, and that person is not protected, and it ends with a tragedy. And so all these things, Jairus comes, and he believes that Jesus can help, and yet he doesn't, right? Now, I think Jesus is capable of having helped her. Like, we're seeing him heal other people, so he could have, but he didn't. And so here he is, and his worst fears are now realized, and he's having to sit here in this place that many of us have been where you ask God, and you do it in faith, man. You conjure up all the faith you can. You're like, I believe you're going to do it. Lord, I'm claiming it in faith. Lord, do this thing, and yet he still doesn't. And when that happens to us, maybe we can get through one or two of those things, maybe. But when it happens to us, we begin, like, our faith begins to evaporate, Right? And our trust in God and his goodness and his power, like our, our faith in prayer, like it's just like this isn't realistic anymore. Why would I keep praying for things when God keeps not doing what I want? And Jesus' response here, it, at first it strikes me as really insensitive. So he looks at her, or he looks at him, and he hears the news as well. Jesus overhears what they're saying to him, that his daughter is dead, and he says, don't fear, only believe. Now I feel like that is, it feels, it must have felt to Jairus really insensitive. Okay, She's died now. It's too late. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Like, I cannot imagine how this man must have, like, received that. And he still had to walk all the way back home with Jesus. And they're walking, and, and it's like, okay, um, I'm going to encounter the, the body of my dead daughter here. Like, I can't even imagine what he was going through. And Jesus is saying, hey, don't be afraid. Just believe. So it is objectively, like, in every sense, it is absolutely too late for faith, Right? Uh, the situation has passed. She is now dead. Um, there is nothing that can be done for her now. And so he has to walk back to this. But here, here is the moral of the story. What we think of as the end is often not the end. You know what I'm saying? This man believed with all this faith, Jesus can keep my daughter from dying, but now it's the end. But Jesus is here and saying, oh, no, it seems like the end, but it's not the end. So often in our lives, the things that we feel like we absolutely have to have, we feel like it will end if this doesn't happen, right? There's another ending. There's, there's another chapter after this one that's ending. And so I feel like Jesus is saying, like, don't be afraid. Of, like, your worst fears have just been realized, but that still is not cause for fear because I am with you. And I'm writing a better story. I'm writing a bigger story. There's more perspective. There's more to know and to see here than you know about. In the end, with all these things, 
Only God knows uh, what's really happening and what the big picture actually looks like. So faith in the God who knows the bigger picture is always uh, warranted. It's always appropriate. Jesus saying, don't be afraid, only believe, would be great advice for all of us in any situation because we really don't. It might, it might be the end of what we've known as we've known it. It might be the end of a, a certain way, a certain kind of a thing, but it's not really the full end. And so Jesus comes. This little section ends with Jesus coming into the house, and he just comes, and everybody is mourning, right? They're just, like, absolutely mourning um, what's happened. And then Jesus says, hey, this isn't the end. This little girl is going to, uh, she's just sleeping, you know. And I love that they step out of their mourning to simply take a minute to just laugh at Jesus, right? Like, you are crazy. That's insane. We get laughter in this tragic situation. But watch what happens. Jesus is incredible. So they laugh at him. But he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and he went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So the situation is too late, but here is Jesus. And once again, Jesus is making the whole thing relational. He takes this little girl by the hand. He calls her little girl, like, like the translation of that would be more like sweetie. It's this term of endearment. And he's just speaking to her softly and gently. And he tells her, um, he tells her like, kumi, like, uh, arise, get up. Like, it's not like resurrect from the dead, but it's actually like what a parent would say in like waking their kid up on a Saturday afternoon. Like, hey, time to get up, sweetheart. Like, Jesus is so gentle. And I love how tender he is, so relational in this whole thing. Um, and he comes in, and again, remember the woman who had the, the, the bleeding for 12 years? That makes her unclean. She should have made Jesus unclean by touching him, but what happens is the opposite, right? She's made clean, made whole. Here is a girl that's dead, and it would make you absolutely unclean to touch a dead person. And yet, again, Jesus should have been made unclean, but no, he makes her clean, he makes her whole, and he gives her life. This beautiful picture. And Jesus comes in and speaks these words in, in Aramaic, and it's Funny how he uh, keeps the Aramaic in there. It's, it's probably one of those memorable phrases, you know, that like it's such a powerful moment for them that they pass on even to people that don't speak Aramaic. Like these are the exact words that he said, you know, like, like if I ask you guys, um, what, did, uh, what did Caesar say to Brutus when he stabbed him in the back? What did he say? Et tu, Brute, right? And I bet you guys don't speak Latin, right? But it's like you pass down those words, um, uh, you know, like... like um, Descartes had this famous, um, I think, therefore, I am. Maybe some of you nerds like get the, la the, the um, Latin phrase, cogito ergo sum. Like, the, you, you, it was such a powerful phrase, such a meaningful statement that he made that they're like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what he said. And so Jesus calls her sweetie, raises her up. And this whole thing, they go from um, mourning over what was happening to mocking Jesus, and then they go to just marveling at what Jesus had done. And I, I want you to see real quick, alliteration, uh, I am a true pastor, I do it every now and then, mocking, mourning, marveling, okay? You guys don't get enough of it, but I, I am bona fide pastor for doing that, okay? <clears throat> Jesus raises this girl from the dead, okay? And I think in doing that, he proves that it can be done, okay? So that's amazing. Like, we should see that the crazy, intense, unbelievable power of Jesus, that he can do um, uh, what we believe can't be done. So we were talking about the ending. This man thought that, like, if my daughter dies, that's the end of it. But Jesus is like, hang on, hang on. There's another ending. This is only a chapter break. There's more to come here. 
But, but it raises the question for me, back to the whole like Bethel thing. It, it raises the question for me, okay, if Jesus can do it, why doesn't he do more of it, right? Like, there were other people dying in Israel at this time. Why wasn't he raising more people? Why, like, when, we, when, our, when our parents die, when our siblings die, when our spouses die, when our kids, like, why isn't Jesus raising these up? Should we be asking for it? One thing I think we have to say for sure is he can, okay? We know that he can. We know, absolutely know that he can. But he doesn't do it often. He didn't even do it often in, at the time when he was doing these kinds of things. So why is it so rare? I would say it certainly doesn't seem like it was his primary purpose in coming to earth. So he wasn't coming to be like, okay, I'm going to take everybody that ever dies and make sure that they're alive again. Like he didn't come and be like, I'm going to get rid of all sickness from the world right now and I'm going to find everybody who's sick and heal them. Like he didn't come to every person that had a demon and be like, I'm going to get rid of all the demons on the earth right now. That, that clearly was not Jesus' purpose or his intent. So certainly there's a place in this story that Jesus is entering into where death still happens, right? And sickness still happens and, and, and tragedy still happens. But he's in the midst of us, I think, to remind us that like, Hey, sometimes I will do this because I can do it. And I want you to see and know that this is possible. But what we see is rather than Jesus eradicating death for everybody or reversing it for everybody on the spot, what Jesus eventually does, we're going to see in the Gospel of Mark, is he actually goes and he participates in death as well, right? This story ends with Jesus himself dying, which is, which is an unbelievable thought as well. Like not only can he bring someone else to life, but he actually goes and participates in this thing that we're all going to experience, which is that one day we will die, and we know that Jesus did as well. But Jesus in dying, he defeats death for all of us. And so when Jesus dies, he actually destroys death from the inside out, which is this incredible thing. People laughed at Jesus here when he said he was going to raise this girl from the dead. Once again, later in the story, people are going to laugh at Jesus a second time, and that's when they're mocking him as he goes to the cross. So Jesus will lay down his life to the tune of laughter, and he will enter into death, but he is going to raise again. And that raising again, Jesus dying and raising again, gives this like uh, this death-defeating power um, to anybody that believes in him. So there's this connection that we have. Just like Jairus can come with faith to Jesus, just like this woman can come and say, I believe this, like there is now, because of what Jesus has done, this death-defeating power that's available to us if we have our faith. Not that Jesus is going to do this specific thing today. Not that Jesus will do it exactly the way that we want it, on the timeline that we want it, but there's this belief that Jesus, you are powerful and you are good and I believe in who you are. And because of that, ultimately, um, every grave is going to be opened at, by the end. Every grave is going to be opened by the end. And we're going to recognize that, man, death seems so final. It seems so irrefutable. It seems so like firm and fixed and, and inevitable. And yet because of what Jesus did, death is not actually the end. Death is actually only temporary. Jesus saying she's just sleeping is actually a pretty good way to look at what happens to us when we lose the people that we love. When we ourselves ultimately die, it's like, yeah, well, it's kind of like taking a nap because Jesus, those who have found life in Jesus, those whose faith have connected them to Jesus, that's ultimately going to be something we're going to wake up from on the other side. And Jesus is going to be like, man, that was a tough chapter, wasn't it? But man, look how good the story is in the big picture. If faith is about what? If faith is about believing that I know what I need, I know what's best, and I am coming to Jesus saying it has to be this way, if our faith is in that, then our faith is not very powerful, right? Our faith is not going to accomplish very much. But if our faith is in a person, uh, Jesus, who came and, and didn't just fix all of our problems, but came to like live through our problems with us, to be able to identify, to be able to walk with us, and then ultimately to be, uh, not just to give us a solution, but to be the solution to every problem, if that's true, and I believe that's true, then our faith can be in that person. And if our faith is 
in Jesus. It's faith that he can do anything, and it's, a, it's faith that he will do what's best, that he, that he sees and knows the big picture, and that his big picture is actually what's best. It's faith that, man, Jesus is, like, every, like all these examples for them were, were lessons in faith. They, they, were, they were invitations to take the little bit of faith that they had, that he could do something, and to turn it into something deeper. This woman praying for 12 years and finally finding healing in Jesus, imagine the depth of faith that comes through that whole thing. Jairus having to face his absolute worst fears and this end, a screeching halt to the life of his daughter. Him having to walk through that and hear Jesus say, hey, don't be afraid, just believe. And walking a little further, walking with Jesus back to the house, seeing what Jesus could do, that is this lesson in faith. It is not the kind of lesson that we want. And man, I, I, there's many people in this room right now where I'm like, man, you've had, to, you've had to really cut your teeth on some intense faith because you've had impossibly hard things happen. But aren't you better for the faith of like Jesus carrying you through and proving again and again that he will carry you through, not just avoiding the hard things, but pulling you through them and showing you that there's so much life even on the other side of that. And the fact of the matter is, you, ha- you can't look at this girl, this like Jesus did not give Jairus what he asked for, okay? So anytime we come in faith and we're like, Jesus, I believe you're going to give me this specific thing and do it like you just got to know, biblically, like, that may not happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, he believed, I think, he came to Jesus and wanted it. it. It was not his lack of faith that let the girl die. Jesus simply just didn't give him what he asked for. But what Jesus did give him was good and beautiful and big picture, right? He, he raised the girl from the dead. He gave her, him what he didn't even know that he could ask for, right? And I think that is so much of what our faith um, provides, is that, man, there's a bigger picture in all this. Jesus asked Jairus to believe even after his daughter died. And I think that is uh, a beautiful picture of what it looks like for all of us. Faith is in a person. It's not in a specific request or a specific thing. So the invitation for us, um, as we just kind of close this out, we're about to head into Thanksgiving, okay? And Thanksgiving is a beautiful time for us to like sit around with our families and, and to like be grateful, right? To say like, give thanks, like, Lord, thank you so much for all the amazing things that you've done. That's so good. That is so faith um, a nurturing for us to, to, to sit in gratitude and think of what God's done. But at the same time, there's many of you that are going to go uh, Thanksgiving. The holidays are often very, very hard, right? So there's going to be some of you that are going to be sitting there, and there'll be someone that was at the table last year or three years ago or a decade ago that you're missing, right? That should be there, but you lost that person. There'll be someone that's not there because of their busy schedule or relational trouble that you've had, and, and there's pain that comes with Thanksgiving. My goodness, there, it, there absolutely is. There'll be someone sitting on a table with a, with a new cancer diagnosis or some hard tragedy they're experiencing. And so as we step into those things, it's faith, uh, stepping into it with all this gratitude of, Lord, you've been so good to me. I can count my blessings. I can see the ways that you've come through. But Lord, I can also just kind of open myself up and say, Lord, I am hurting. I'm in pain. And you know what I need more than I do. I believe you can do anything. And Lord, I trust you to do what's right and what's best. And our faith is in a person not in an outcome. And so just being able to kind of sit there at Thanksgiving, take in the good things and trust him, even when it's impossible, even when it's hard, even when it's been way too long, that he's going to still work in ways that go deeper than we want. Reaching out and touching Jesus, I think, is what Mark is trying to get us to do. Um, it never looks as easy as it should be. You know what I'm saying? I, I think what's, what the problem is with a lot of the, the like faith healer type of things is they just make it too easy, you know? Like they make it too black and white. They make it too formulaic. They make it too, like if you just do this. Um, and also, you know, when they ask to send in money and stuff like that, that's a problem too. But I think 
Jesus is capable of everything that anyone's ever said. You know, like no one's ever been, no one's ever made too big of a claim about what Jesus can do for us. Like that's, I think, important to know. But also we, we underestimate the relational side. So let me, let me pray for us. We're going to sing a little bit more. Let me just ask the Lord to be um, uh, with us and speaking to us. So Lord, thank you so much for this reminder that you are good, that you are present. Um, Lord, thank you for taking the time with um, this man and his daughter um, this woman in, in her long-suffering situation. It's so beautiful, Lord, to see your compassion. And I, I just pray for the many people in our church family that are in that spot where we've just waited so long, um, in that spot where our hearts have just been broken so intensely. And Lord, I pray that in the midst of all that, that you would speak life into it. Lord, remind us of who you are. Um, Lord, give us faith to believe that you can do the impossible. Also give us the faith to trust you when it looks different, um, when it goes slower, uh, when our hearts get broken anyways. Lord, be present with us. Be working in us in those situations. Lord, you are so good. You are so good. And I pray that as we celebrate Thanksgiving that we, we would remember your goodness. Lord, many of us, I think it's hard to see the good uh, that's around us. And I pray that this year you would supernaturally just help us to see all the good, that even with so many things unresolved, even with so many sources of pain still present, may you give us eyes to see the good that's there. May we see your loving hand leading, shepherding, guiding us. Lord, that's what we want. That's what we ask for. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.